Well, good morning. It's a great day to be in God's house, isn't it? And choir, what a great job. I tell you what, when you sang, that's right, give them a hand. When you sang Battle Hymn of the Republic, that's the closest I've come to visiting a recruiter in many, many years, I tell you. I felt so patriotic about that, I tell you. It's great to be here today, and I am so honored to be at Tallowood Baptist Church. Your pastor is a wonderful friend of mine. He is a great, great preacher. And when I'm done today, you're going to know just how great he is, I tell you. <laughs> He's a great preacher, and uh, I am honored, humbled that he would ask me to come and supply while he is visiting with his father. I, uh, it's amazing how uh, life has a way of humbling you at times. I uh, told my, uh, I have a 16-year-old daughter, and I told her, I said, uh, Dr. Brooks at Talwood asked me to supply for him. And uh, she kind of shrugged it off. I said, you know, many great preachers have preached at Talwood. I said, some of the greatest preachers in our convention have preached at Talwood. And she looked at me and she said, and he asked you? <laughs> you may feel the same way when, when we're done, but I am so honored to be here. If you brought your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is one of those high water marks in, in the entire New Testament. If you've studied uh, Luke and Luke 15, you know that there are three great parables in that chapter, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. Early church fathers were unanimous. Now imagine that, unanimous in seeing those three parables actually as being one great parable with three different movements. And the parable, according to the church fathers, represented the work of the Godhead. In the parable of the lost sheep, we see the work of God, the Son. In the parable of the lost coin, we see the work of God, the Holy Spirit. And then in the parable of the lost Son, we see the work of God, the Father, welcoming home those who are repentant and those who are willing to surrender their lives to him. It's that last parable that I want us to focus on this morning, uh, Luke chapter 15, and in a few moments we'll begin at verse 11. But as you're turning, I wanted to share with you, when I was 20 years old, I had the wonderful privilege of leading my real father to faith in Jesus Christ. I refer to him as my real father because he's not the man who raised me. I was raised in the home of a Southern Baptist preacher and his wife. My real parents were divorced when I was but a child, and it didn't take my father long who had uh, gained custody of me to realize that he wasn't able to care for a toddler on his own full time, so he basically gave me to a preacher and his wife there in his community who were looking to adopt a child. He would never let adoption take place, but he basically told them, you can have my son and raise my son, but I still want to visit my son. 
I still want to know him as he's growing up. And he did. He would come to see me often. While I was growing up, it didn't take me long, however, to realize that my real father was not quite like other fathers in the community. Most other fathers, why, they, uh, they had jobs. They would go to work in the morning. They would come home in the evening. But that's not the way my real father was. He was a professional gambler. Amazing. He loved playing cards. He loved the horses. I mean, he lived to gamble. Actually, gambling was his life. There were days he would come and he would see me, visit with me. And I kid you not, I thought he was probably the richest guy in town. The cards had went his way. And then there were days he would visit and he didn't have a penny to his name. He really had a sad existence, going from high to low, high to low, high to low. I was saved when I was seven years of age. You can imagine being raised in a pastor's home. I was confronted with the gospel day in and day out. At seven, I gave my heart and my life to Jesus. And then, and then at 18, God called me to preach. And I began to go around in certain areas there where we live, certain churches would ask me to come and preach. And a strange thing began to happen. About halfway through the worship service, wherever I was called to go and preach, on that day, my dad, my real father, would walk in the back of the church. He would sit all the way in the back, usually far away from anyone, as far away as he could get. You know, he thought the stuff in here was kind of contagious. And then I would stand and I would begin to preach. An amazing thing, I would look back and I would see tears beginning to well up in his eyes. And before long, tears would just be streaming down his cheek. And by the time of the invitation, he would literally be weeping like a child. And that kind of startled me. My father was a big man. He stood about six foot four. He weighed about 250, 260. And I had never seen him cry, but yet at every church where he was at when I was free, he would weep like a baby. His heart wasn't right with the Lord. When I was 20, he called me to visit him. By then, his life was really at rock bottom. He lived in a, a one-room apartment above a bar. I remember the day like it was yesterday. It was beautiful like it is today outside. I, went to his apartment, I climbed the steps above that bar, I walked in, we sat down at his little table, had a little metal table, scratched up, looked like he'd gotten it from someone. Uh, we sat there and he began to share with me how, how the doctors had told him he was terminally ill, that he didn't have long to live. And he needed to get his house, his life in order. And while he was talking to me, I realized that God was giving me an opportunity right then, right there, that if I didn't take, I might not ever have that opportunity again. So I mustered up my courage and I said, Dad, do you know God loves you? And he began to weep again. He bowed his head. I said, Dad, do you know that Christ gave his life for you? That he went to Calvary, he 
there was crucified. He shed his blood so that your sins might be forgiven. And he shook his head, yes. I said, Dad, I, I can't imagine spending eternity in heaven and you not being there. So kneeling down beside that table, he asked Christ to come into his heart. He accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. When he was done praying, we stood up. He was crying, and frankly, I was crying also. And he did something he very rarely ever did. In fact, I don't remember another time that my real father did this. He was kind of a distant man. He grabbed me by the shoulders. He pulled me close. He put his arms around me. And he hugged me as tightly as he could. I could still feel his body shaking against mine from crying. And then he said something I've never forgot. He said, son, I have wasted my entire life. I've wasted my life with you. I've wasted my life with your mother. I've wasted my entire life. I've wasted my life that God has given me. And then he said, I just wish I could start life all over again. I just wish I could begin again. I think all of us sooner or later reach a point where we wonder, can we just begin again? Raymond Bailey, the former professor preaching at Southern Seminary, has written that the fundamental questions of our human existence never really change. In every generation, in every person, sooner or later, we reach a point where we deal with certain questions, those basic questions, and we have to have them answered. We seek for an answer, and one of those questions is simply this, can I begin again? Oh, well, this story, the story of this prodigal son, reminds us that yes, it's possible to begin again. Luke 15, beginning at verse 11, I would ask if you're physically able to stand in honor of God's word as I read this wonderful, wonderful story this morning. Jesus is speaking, he said, a man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and he hired himself to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I'll get up, I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of his servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your father has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, or your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. His father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you've never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. And we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these moments. And I would ask, Lord, that in this moment that you would speak in a powerful way. Father, you know every life. You know every secret. You know every failure, every victory. Father, speak to us as only you can. And then, Lord, I would ask that our decisions and our thoughts And especially in this moment, the words of my lips would be pleasing to you. Hide us all behind your cross. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The freedom to choose is a wonderful, wonderful gift that God has given us. We choose the direction we want in life, the avenues that we will go down. We are free to choose the decisions, many of them that we make. Many of us decided this morning that we were going to get up and come and worship the Lord. We have been given the freedom to choose. But as that old preacher who raised me often said, when you choose, choose wisely. Because with every choice, there is a consequence. Sometimes the consequence is good, And sometimes the consequence is difficult. Here is this young man. He's come to his father, and he does what no decent Jewish young man would do. He asks for his share of the inheritance. Basically, that gift that would come to him upon his father's death. His father divides his wealth between his sons. Jesus tells us not many days later, the younger son, he takes his journey into a distant country, and there he... Why, he squanders his estate. In the Greek, it means that he actually takes his inheritance and he casts it to the wind. He throws it to the wind. And we're reminded of the words of Hosea. They that sow to the wind, they reap the whirlwind. Jesus tells us that when he spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that land. By the way, famines always come, don't they? 
Sooner or later, we face the famines. They very seldom ever come when we expect them, when we plan for them, when we are ready for them. But the famines always come. The famine occurred in that land, and this young man began to be in want. He found himself without anything, but give the young man credit. He tries to pull himself up by his own bootstraps, you might say. He goes and he hires himself to a citizen of that land who sends him into the fields to feed swine. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I've had the unique privilege of feeding swine before. I was raised on a farm with that Southern Baptist preacher, and we had little pigs, and believe me, we didn't keep them as pets. We had pigs, and it was my job to feed the swine. It is a wonderful employment. It is something that sticks with you the rest of your life. Let me assure you, you never get over the smells at six o'clock in the morning as you're feeding the swine. Well, this young man, he's feeding the swine. Imagine that for a Jewish young man. And not only that, he's looking at what they're eating and thinking to himself, you know, that's looking remarkably good. But then we come to verse verse 17, where he comes to his senses. And he begins to struggle with that question I think in essence, can I start this thing all over again? And the answer, of course, is yes. The answer is yes. My friend, we have a God of a thousand tomorrows. He is not limited by problem, difficulty, challenge, or obstacles. We have a great and a mighty God. And he is a God of a thousand tomorrows. Can we begin again? Yes. We can begin again when we remember that we are loved no matter what. Now think about that. You are loved by God. We are loved in a magnificent, wonderful, eternal, unconditional way. We are loved and we are loved no matter what. Think of the implications of that. No matter what we've said, no matter how far we have messed up, no matter how bad we have been, no matter that secret about ourselves that no one else knows, God knows it. And still, we are, we're loved. The Bible puts it like this, that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, He died for the sinner, you and me. He died while we were in our sins. He loved us even then, even while we were still fallen, even while we were still in, well, for lack of a better term, in the pig pen, you might say. God loves us no matter what. But that's hard for us to really grasp. After all, we live in a world where love is so conditional, don't we? I read some time ago about a young man who took a beautiful portrait to a framing store. It was a portrait of his fiance. And uh, it was very dear to him. She had given it to him on the occasion of their engagement. He took it to the framing store. He told the person at the counter, he said, spare no expense, frame it, use the best material. I'll be back in a few days to pick it up. And as the framer was looking at the portrait, 
he turned it over and he noticed on the back there was written a interesting, interesting little note. He said, dear Bill, I love you. I will always, always love you. My heart will always be yours. I look forward to our life together. Sign Linda. And, and, then, and then just under that, P.S., if we ever break up, I want this portrait back. <laughs> Isn't that our world? You're loved if. If you say the right things, if you do the right things, if you wear the right clothes, you're loved if. But God loves us no matter what. No matter what. Uh, think about this young man. He has insulted his father in a remarkable way. He has, well, for lack of a better term, he has, he has entered into a cultural faux pas like few others. He basically was telling his dad when he asked for his inheritance, Dad, you know, I wish you were dead. Can I have what's mine? What's coming to me? And if that were not enough, he goes off to the distant country, and there he squanders his estate. And we're not even left to the imagination about that. The older brother tells us what the younger brother's been doing. Well, he's been spending his money on prostitutes. If that were not bad enough. No wonder this young man came to his father expecting condemnation. He came to his father expecting condemnation. He came deserving condemnation. But what he discovered was that his father loved him. While he was still a long way off, his father ran, he embraced him, he kissed him, and he, he embraced, he loved on his son. Notice while he's still in the rags, while he is still messed up while he is still smelling, smelling like the world. His father embraces him. Might I submit to you that this young man never really knew his father. He expected condemnation and he received love. And can I just share with you this morning that there is a God in heaven and he loves you. He's not waiting for you to get cleaned up. He's not waiting for you to straighten up. He's just waiting for you to come back, to come home. When I was saved, it was on a Sunday night, or no, it was, during, it was on an evening. I'm getting kind of older and remembering things is kind of difficult. But like most preacher's boys, I was on the last pew of the church, all the way in the back. I'd sit back there and think about everything. But for some reason that night, as the preacher preached, I kept thinking, boy, if I died tonight, I'm not ready to meet God. An amazing thing happened. When the invitation was given, I thought to myself, boy, it's a long way down there. That's going to be a long walk. Amazing thing happened is that when the invitation was given, I let go of the pew and I stepped out. And I kid you not, 
the father ran right to where I was. He embraced me. He hugged me. And he carried me all the way down. Can life begin again? Oh, yes. God loves you. And this morning, he's waiting, waiting on you just to make that step toward him. By faith, repenting of your sin, make that step toward him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these moments. Lord, for just the truth of the gospel that you love us. The heart of the gospel that you are waiting, waiting and wanting us to return to you. Help us, Father, now in these moments of decision to respond to you in such a way that would be honorable and that would allow us to leave this place today knowing that we have begun all over again in the presence of your love and with the peace of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.